0: Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Fuse. Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer, Jim Hill. I know, I know. It's been a while since my co-host, Dustin Fuse, and I last did a show, but there's a very good reason for that. Dustin was down in Orlando earlier this month scoping out the competition. So what is going on at Disney? What did we say?
1: Well, it's hot. Wow,
0: oh, there's a surprise.
1: Yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, fairly reasonable with, with the weather. It was consistently hot throughout the day. So as soon as you had your shower first thing in the morning, that shower stuck with you, which was great. Lots of great food, lots of fun news coming out, not just at, uh, with Disney and the gondolas and Star Wars and everything going on on that side, but the theme park industry down in Florida is is just booming right now. The conversations that are being had in public spaces like the uh, Orlando Premium Outlets and all the hotels and every, people are talking about everything coming. And it was great to hear people going to Universal, riding hagrids and not mentioning the lines. They got off the off the ride and be like, you know what, that was worth it. So it was very cool to, to see that. Now, I didn't have the chance to make it over to Universal on this uh, trip. Business kind of got in the way. Uh, there was a day that I had planned and then torrential downpours were, were scheduled the entire day. And I figured that we're gonna be back there in a couple months anyway. So uh, instead I, I wrote a lot of POVs on, uh, on YouTube to see everything that happened down there.
0: Okay, speaking of Hagrid's though, those folks who actually get to write it are coming off and giving stellar reviews since this thing opened back on June 13th. But it hasn't actually been the smoothest first month of operations. If you been following what's been going on with the whole we're going to be down for maintenance thing? Or? Yeah,
1: they first started out with the mornings saying, mm. you know, we're going to take our time in the mornings to make sure that we have that, that full maintenance time to really fix what was wrong and and then they went to the evenings and then they're like, OK, we're, we're going to have people ride the experience whenever it opens, it opens. But we're closing the lines earlier on in the evenings to allow for a proper maintenance time as well.
0: It's interesting you bring out early who had mentioned the torrential rainstorm because that did factor into the decision, you know, because face it, it's it's central Florida in the summer. Three o'clock, you can almost time it on you know your watch that there's going to be a torrential rainstorm in the mid afternoon. Yeah. So opening this thing at noon just wasn't going to work, or at least you know not from an operational point of view. And you and I both have seen
1: all the the conversations going on online, people getting halfway through the line and then having the ride go down for not just 10, 15, 20 minutes. We're talking about one, two, up to three hours.
0: But again, to be fair here, though, that one of the problems about having a family-friendly coaster that rolls around seven acres is that if there's a thunder and lightning storm within 10 miles... A lot of attractions that go outside will shut down or, you know, will, you know, slow down their load procedure for that exact same reason. Absolutely. I'm genuinely looking forward to checking out this attraction, if only for the notion, I mean, I live out in the woods, so the notion (laughs) of being able to roll through an environment where they they planted 1,200 trees that are all going to grow up and create the forbidden forest. I mean, I'm excited about that aspect of this ride, but from day one when they announced that this was just like Dragon Challenge and Dueling Dragons, that this was going to be an outdoor coaster. It's just sort of like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we called you know. it. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, but anyway, the thing they tweeted out on the 10th, given the popularity of Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure and its current wait time, we will close the attraction prior to park close so we can begin our routine daily maintenance to ensure the experience continues to be great. I don't want to hammer on the, these folks, especially when you consider it's designed to have capacity. Is Absolutely. It seven coasters on the track at any one time. But in a weird sort of way, Universal caught a break. Because, of course, if you ask people, what's the big story in themed entertainment this summer? It's the light crowds at Disneyland. Yeah. How many stories did you see just over the past week where it's starting to bubble up? in the mainstream media about, you know, is there something wrong with with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge? And it's like, well, no, you know, that Disney decided to do this whole deluxe pass holders out till August or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And if Galaxy's Edge had opened in California and there were no issues, you know, the park was full and, you know. There, and both there, 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 attractions like, opened. And, you know, that's exactly the themed entertainment press would have fallen on Hagrid like wolves. (laughs) Absolutely. And just beat that attraction up. So, if I were Universal and the guys, particularly working in operations and maintenance, I would think of the August 29th opening of Galaxy's Edge in Orlando as my drop dead. You know, you have to have Hagrid up and running at full capacity the full day by that turn because God helped them if Orlando opens up and it operates flawlessly and, and they already know in advance that Rise of the Resistance isn't open. By the way, did you see that December 5th? Yeah,
1: December, yeah.
0: And then January for Disneyland. Yeah, January 17th. So uh, unfortunately, the folks coming to our event will miss it by a couple of days, but maybe it'll soft open. <laughs> if you look at the, the how troubled Hagrid's has been this summer, But we pivot to the West Coast now, to Universal Studios Hollywood, to the opening of Jurassic World, the ride. And geez, that's been relatively flawless. I mean, yeah, they've they've had a couple of days, you know, when they were soft opening where they had to throw people off because there were some technical issues and that sort of thing. But I'm sure you've been YouTubing rides through that thing.
1: Yeah. And and. Talking with people who have actually been there. So Mm -hmm. I have friends on the West Coast and uh, a lot of them are annual pass holders. So you get a chance to, you know, hop on Skype and just ask for their opinions. And what I'm seeing is that a lot of the guests that go into Universal Studios Hollywood, because there's so many other things that they can do and it's not being publicized as... It's open. All's gonna be incredible. There's so much more that you can do within that Jurassic World area, from Elad um, or sorry, Isla Newbar to the dining to the Raptor Encounter. There's a lot of stuff that goes in.
0: They had been doing the Raptor Encounter for a better part of a couple of years. Yeah. But when they came back, not only do they You know sort of reconfigure the sort of extend the jurassic world experience out into the the surrounding land a bit sort of creating you know uh placemaking so to speak but they also really went in heavy to this character interaction now we not only have blue the raptor that Mm -hmm. people can meet with but correct me if i'm wrong that there's two baby dinosaurs now
1: yeah, so uh, similar to what happened back when Jurassic Park opened in Florida, there's—I mm-hmm. I like to classify them as streetmosphere. There are all these characters that kind of build the fat, the the ambiance of you being mm-hmm. in this world. So they have team members that are basically showcasing the next genetic creations of this this corporation that runs Jurassic World. And it's really cute. The kids get to go up and interact. And but again, these, I, I think are,
0: these are puppets that people are carrying These are the Yeah,
1: they're handheld. So it's almost like seeing a, a, a ventriloquist where you can tell that the team member who's portraying this character you know is kind of using their hand to you know make everything move and the baby triceratops is is adorable and the the baby raptor there there's a lot of these types of things that are going on but i think the big thing that really popped out that kind of shocked a lot of people on day one was Mm -hmm. juliet the triceratops so this is very similar to a uh, a living character initiative, kind of like Lucky the dinosaur out on the other coast with um, with Disney World and and Disneyland. But the fact that they have a character like a Triceratops just walking around, guests can go up and actually you know touch this character. Granted, if they touch the horns, they get a little bit of a stern talking to, but that's not the end of the world. Like. To have this conversation and actually tell your kids that's a dinosaur, they may not understand that Jurassic Park and Jurassic World aren't real, but they're like, I, I get to go to school tomorrow and tell my friends that I got to pet a, tr- a Triceratops?
0: Isn't that the coolest thing? For those of us who remember, you know, Triceratops encounter at Jurassic Park at Universal's Islands Adventure, I mean... D- it was kind of modeled after the Ollivander's wand shop experience in that one guest would be allowed into the enclosure and would get to pet the, you know, the Triceratops and that sort of thing. And By the way, you know, one of the reasons that thing was as cool as it was, Dustin, is mm-hmm. that was Canadian expertise, the technology there that powered the three t- uh, animatronic Triceratopses that they used on the various different huts. But that was, that technology was actually built by the guys who built the space arm, for the shuttle. I just remember, you know, you know, when I was doing, down there doing press and chatting with the folks, they were very, you know, and this is Canadian expertise, those <laughs> guys are good. And you're like, I'm from
1: New Hampshire, I'm pretty close to that. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, we're close to expertise, you know. They t- 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 yeah, have business cards that say that. Anyway, speaking of the anim- animatronics, Let's talk about the new new opening scene. Sure. The Mosmasaur Aquarium, which replaced the Ultrasolar Lagoon, Mm -hmm. which on paper should have been, you know, I mean, a mind-blowing thing. And, you know, the idea is you came, in fact, they still do it. The boat comes around the curve, and you're in the middle of that lagoon. And when they opened this attraction back in June of 96, there was a five-story tall animatronic standing in the middle of that lagoon. The Ultrasaur, and then again then had the Ultrasaur baby, I think, on shore. Mm-hmm. Universal went all out. They hired Sarcos. This is a company that was formed by a bunch of professors from the University of Utah. They started working with animatronics. In fact, they partnered with Disney. They they In 85, 86, they put a, a Mr. Lincoln in that was based on the Sarcos system. That, I remember talking with Mark Davis, the guy who did the original, Mr. Lincoln and he went to see the show and it's like,
1: they gave Lincoln too much coffee. He's too, he's (laughs) moving too
0: much. But on the other hand, the next figure that they did everybody loved. The Wicked Witch of the West. Yes. So again, this was Universal's thinking. We want to go for the guys who are best in the business. So let's get Sarko's and let them, let's have them do our dinosaurs. June of 1990, Universal Studios Florida opens up and from day one they can't operate the Jaws ride the way they want because it turns out these very sophisticated animatronic figures can't get wet. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. It was one of the things in hindsight some you know there should have been that discussion in the meeting and the interesting thing is when they shut it down and they then retooled Jaws the ride and brought it back in the spring of 93. The very very bright gentleman who redid the attraction was like okay hang on he drives down to Long Beach Harbor And he goes to, you know, the longshoremen there and tells them, show me everything that you've got, heavy equipment that has to work in water constantly. And so, you know, they walk around the dock areas and all of that. Basically what he then does is gets the catalog and looks at every piece of heavy duty machinery that has to operate in seawater and then looks at it and tries to figure out how can I put a shark head on that? And... That's how we got the ride that that operated all of that time till we got Diagon Alley And What I don't understand is, why didn't they talk to one another? They're designing the Jurassic Park ride as they're making the movie. You know, I mean, the movie comes out in in 94. This attraction opens two years later. Mm -hmm. They clearly have to hear what's going on in Orlando about, oh dear Lord, our Jaws attraction and how much it's costing to redo. And, And boy, these things don't operate in water. So what do they do? They, they put a giant Ultrasaur in the middle of the water.
1: Well, and, and you and I have talked about it on, on previous uh, shows about how the filming of Jurassic Park had all those issues with the T-Rex. How yeah, as yeah, soon yeah. as it would get wet during those mm-hmm. amazing scenes that still, you know, they still mm-hmm. hold up all of these years yep. later. But mm-hmm. the behind the scenes, the fact that the actual machines themselves would shake. And they would have to figure out a way to, you know, make sure that it wasn't going to interrupt the next take. I think that's a big, a a big issue.
0: When Stan Winston and Steven Spielberg were were talking about doing these scenes, Stan, you know, was mentioning we're doing the supersize animatronic and there's going to be a lot of hoses coming off of this thing and... We're going to have to frame our shots really carefully. And mm-hmm. can we shoot this at night? And can we shoot this at rain? Because that hides a multitude of sins. Yeah. But the very thing you're talking about, it just, it just got heavy. It just
1: got wet. One of the, the funny things when you talk about nighttime and, and getting wet, that was one of mm. the big uh, promotional pieces of the new Jurassic World ride as you went mm. into uh, the Mosasaur uh, Aquarium. Because Mm -hmm. you would be able to, as you turn that corner, you see that poor shark. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, he he did his best. Mm -hmm. But as the weather outside changes, they would change the screens. And I've seen both so far. Uh, I've seen them uh, running nighttime with daytime screens. And I've also seen them test some of the, the rain features. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think the response that people are getting from that scene is that it's another screen that Universal has used, but they did it right. So I think that's the one of the, the points that uh, people have started to make on social media and on all of the POVs and all of the, the folks who have
0: been on the ride. They're like, you know what? It actually worked out the introductory scene with the Ultrasaur kind of immediately took you out of the ride because it was clearly this mechanical thing that was trying to look natural. And, it, and also, how many times have we all gone on the ride and the, the male or the adult Mosasaurus, mm-hmm. all five stories of it is locked in place because it's broken. Whereas this thing, the mohs Aquarium, it's fluid, it's lovely, it has, you know the the creature moves from one side of the tank to the other.
1: But they have had screen issues, so
0: we've actually seen it with half of the screens
1: not working, okay. and obviously that happens, that's an operational mm-hmm. thing that comes up, and especially this close to the soft open, and you know, it's Summertime, and we understand that. But it is really funny to see folks on this attraction as they're seeing this entire story because the ride is so much slower. So Mm. because of that, they're actually spending more time in these show scenes and able to point out these little details. Is it really it is it as you're you're going through the water is actually and I don't know the percentages but there's been a number of side by side comparisons done on YouTube and some really talented videographers have have gone out there and kind of put them together and it's very noticeable.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. I did not know that. Uh getting back to Juliet for a second. Sure. I don't know how many of you folks are aware of there's a show that they do at Universal Studios Japan called Dinosaur Panic where literally folks are in the Jurassic Park section of Universal Studios Japan. And first they bring out one raptor, then they bring out another raptor, then they bring out a third raptor and Then they bring out their park's triceratops and the raptors begin to talk to one another and seem to be getting ready to make a move on a triceratops. And Mm -hmm. then to add to the noise and the fun, at the very edge of the land, there's a piece of, you know, the fence we know from like the T-Rex paddock and who comes out, you know, what a giant puppet head of the Spinosaurus from Jurassic Park 3. And you have all of this noise. And the interesting thing is the dinosaurs are literally in the middle of the crowd. And yep. you have these cast members who are trying to sort of wrangle these, obviously, people in animal costumes and that sort of thing. But all I could think of was looking at it is like, wow, no, this will never come to the States. <laughs> and Universal's lawyers will never allow this. And so to see Juliet here and to have Blue here, yep. I'm just wondering, you know, looking ahead to what's going on with the Jurassic Park redo over at Islands, whether or not, you know, A, we're going to get, even just get Juliet, but... Wouldn't it be cool to get every hour or so or, you know, a little taste of dinosaur panic?
1: Can I quote uh, Mr. Jim Hill on this and say, come back later, oh, mag- try again? Magic 8-Ball, yes.
0: <laughs> now that we are talking again about Universal Orlando, sure. next month, August, is annual passholder month, is that correct? Or? Yeah, the
1: passholder appreciation uh, events oh. that have actually been going on for years— Every it's usually in in August going through until the end of September. And uh, yeah, it's back. So for annual pass holders of Universal Studios Florida, all you have to do is head on to the official website and there's registration actually for uh, for a special thing. So there's two aspects to this event. You have the Universal Passholder Appreciation Days, which is every day between August 12th and September 30th but you actually have a passholder appreciation night that is August 18th from 8 p.m. until midnight. Now you do have to register for the event. It looks like registration opens 8 p.m. on July the 12th, so I hope you guys got your passes, but there's tons of stuff going on you know I would go through the the list of every single thing but the highlights for me for the night is that there's uh plenty of experiences plenty of stuff that is only available for that evening lots of character experiences and fun stuff and I'm sure that people who have gone to past appreciation nights really they wanna go again. Now, one of the things that I did wanna point out is that in previous years, there was actually multiple nights that they had this experience, actually as as recent as 2017, where they had two after-park events. So to go from two down to one in 2018, and then this year also having the one, that just shows that they want to put either a lot of emphasis on the one night, or previous pass holder nights were just they had that split in attendance. So if they do one night, that's awesome. So one of the things to keep in mind with the the event is that you actually have to go on to Eventbrite and register. You get your lanyard, you get your passes, uh, everything is provided in advance. But throughout that entire month when the passholder appreciation uh, events are going on, there's some really cool discounts that you can take advantage of from things like the Blue Man
0: Group to- Well, I'm looking here, what's the annual passholders get $3 off admission to Universal Cinemark for after six showings, the passholder and one guest Which, that's pretty awesome. I guess if somebody's going to spring for a ticket to Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious spinoff. That's happening next month as well, August 2nd, right?
1: Yeah. And then, uh, Mm. yeah, it's, I think one of the big things to keep in mind with the summertime is that there's a lot of these events that go on. And not just Disney and Universal, but just keep an eye out to the social medias. The Twitter accounts are highly active. And actually, one of my favorite things to do is to head on to the Universal Orlando Annual Passholder Facebook group. And you, you not only get the official, hey, this is what's going on, but you also get some really passionate fans that are really good at helping you trip plan. So if you are thinking about becoming an annual pass holder with Universal, you know these perks are always a, a fun little uh, little addition on top of, of course, well, getting to go
0: to the parks. This year there is one annual pass holder appreciation night versus three back in two thousand seventeen. Yeah, two thousand
1: seventeen right? had two, August twenty okay. seventh and August thirtieth.
0: Halloween Horror Nights this year starts earlier than it ever has september 6th i wonder how much of that is you know cutting it back to the single night is related to the fact that they have to set dress in the park that much earlier i don't know if that's what's really going on here but just you know, kind of wanted to throw that out there
1: well and if you go back to some of the past years there's been different uh promotions that they've used through the appreciation month Everything from ticket discounts to um, special Caribbean events at Sapphire Falls back in 2016. There was a quick service discount with the, the dining plan where you would actually, and this is back in 2017, where they would actually give you, you buy one universal dining plan and you got the second one 50% off. I think when we're looking at the current passholder experiences that they're trying to do things throughout the year. And there may be discounts to come and go as well, like the Passholder
0: Lounge. Didn't they give the annual Passholders early access to Fast and Furious Supercharge? Yep, Yeah. I don't know if that's a perk or a <laughs> Yeah,
1: so that's the annual Passholder stuff. There's a lot of things that, that go on within the parks, and I'm a big fan of just, you know, heading over to the social media, seeing what kind of fun you can get into.
0: We mentioned the Hobbs and Shaw thing uh, debuting on August 2nd. I was yeah. told by somebody at the studio that it's they're trying to get a teaser trailer ready for Fast and Furious 9 to throw that in front of Hobbs and Shaw, because obviously this is the first real spinoff. And it's possible they could pull this off. They began principal photography of the latest Fast and Furious in back in June, uh, June 24th to be exact. Mm-hmm. We've got John C. Sienna joining John the cast. John Cena, come on. He's a, he's a
1: wrestler. He's the, uh, basically
0: the, the former uh, I'm sorry, I live boy. in the woods. What do you <laughs> want from me? You know, uh, uh, John Cena, who obviously is sort of stepping in to fill, you know, because Dwayne Johnson has moved on to this Hobbs and Shaw franchise. We also have Charlize Theron and Helen Mirren are reprising their roles from Fast and Furious 8. They have been shooting on location in New York, L.A., and for the first time in the franchise's history, they're in Thailand. And, you know, Fast and Furious loves to get to these exotic locations. I don't know if you remember in Furious 7 when they they shot in Abu Dhabi, and I believe they they had the car jump out of the needle, that ridiculously tall skyscraper.
1: Yeah, the the Burj Khalifa. There we go. See, when, when you live in Toronto, you have to know which buildings surpass the CN Tower.
0: Uh, all right well by the way folks when we get back from our commercial break we're going to talk about something else that Universal almost produced in that part of the world and that's Universal Studios Dubai Land the theme park and resort that actually did begin construction out in the desert of Dubai but was never actually completed I know, it's July, it's hot, but I just looked at the temperature in Abu Dhabi. It's 1 o'clock in the morning right now there, and it's 97 degrees. Not only that, it's 63% humidity, so just be happy you're indoors with a little air conditioning. But anyway, Dustin, what do you know about Dubai Land? Did this you know, ever come up or
1: uh, Dubai land is on my list of places to go to. I think as a, a theme park fan, and even as just a world traveler, there are certain things that are going on in Dubai that mm-hmm. are just epic. And I think uh, when, when you, when you, mentioned Dubai land. I'm like, yes, please. I can't wait to talk about this.
0: You have a part of the world that, you know, has has founded its fame and fortune on obviously, you know, petrochemical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we see the rise of electric cars and and that sort of thing, it's kind of interesting that they took a look at the future and said, okay, we need to transition. And they decided that the way they were going to transition was by becoming a destination and not just any destination Uh, the october of 2003 the dubai land project gets announced and this is a 64 billion dollar and again that's 2003 billions that's real money Dustin. yeah and they're planning on building a hundred and seven square mile entertainment complex that is more than twice the size of walt disney world with the largest collection of theme parks on the planet and if it had all gone according to plan, Dubai Land, with its attractions and experience world section, one of six distinct zones that are supposed to make up this mega project. The other five were. Sports and outdoor world, ecotourism world. I don't even want to think what that is. You know, just like, you know, here, there's a panda in your room. Have a good time. (laughs) Just here, take this pile of bamboo and we hope for the best. Survivor live. (laughs) We have themed and leisure entertainment world. We have retail and entertainment world. And then we have downtown. And I can't imagine with all of those other categories, what the hell would they put in downtown? Just a Starbucks. Yes, they have managed over the years to build a number of theme parks out there, Motion Gate and, and the like. But if the, they had gone according to plan, there would have been a Six Flags theme park out there. There would have been a Legoland theme park, a DreamWorks animation theme park, Paramount theme park. The one that has always fascinated me was the Marvel superhero theme park. Now, this is a standalone deal. This is was not impacted by the master licensing agreement that MCA Recreation Service signed with the Marvel Entertainment Group in March of 94, which obviously cleared the runway for Superhero Island at, at Universal's uh, Islands Adventure in May of 99. Mm-hmm. Likewise, because Dubai Land cut its deal with Marvel in May of 2008. It predated Disney's acquisition of, of Marvel in August of 2009. So Disney's, the new owners of Marvel, had to honor the contract. Mm-hmm. But 10 theme parks in all with the crown jewel of this attraction supposedly being Universal Studios Dubai, and anyway, Universal Studios Dubai land officially gets announced April 30th, 2007. It's going to be a 2.2 billion dollar collaboration between Universal and TATWEER, uh, which is a subsidiary of Dubai Holdings. It's going to be a theme park and resort, which they'd hope would attract uh, 5 million visitors annually, and with the idea that it would be completed and ready to open for business by December of 2010. For lack of a better term, it is the Universal Highlight Reel Park. It tries to combine the best of all of the parks they had previously done. The way you entered the park was through the, the standard Universal Studios arch. Sure. The Main Street USA retail corridor was modeled after that section of Universal Studios Hollywood on the upper lot uh, that stretches from like the ticket booths to the Universal Plaza. So. that that wonderful stucco studio look but then when you get to the end of the retail corridor you're suddenly standing in front of a lagoon that's modeled after Universal's uh, Islands Adventure Central Lagoon and uh, right across that lagoon and again it's just literally we go with the playbook that works is the Jurassic Park Visitor Center so that's at the 12 o'clock position And then it's just kind of fun, the variations on how they incorporate ideas. Like, for example, if you go to the left, starting at the six o'clock position, you enter this park's Hollywood Boulevard that pretty much is an on-model take on the Universal Studios Florida version of Hollywood Boulevard. In fact, there's a Mel Diner sitting right at the end of the street. But what's interesting is behind this, to the left is the Fast and Furious coaster ride. Now, again, I said coaster, not Fast and Furious supercharged. Uh, in fact, if you, you you can find the picture of the model, you can see this giant steel coaster, Yeah, you know, sort of, and it's hidden behind Hollywood Boulevard. So we continue around the park clockwise. Moving to the 10 o'clock position, we enter Legendary Heroes Land. Here, Universal Creative was planning on building A clone of Revenge of the Mummy, The Ride, indoor roller coaster, first opened at Universal Studios back in May of 2004. Because this just closed last year in August, they were going to, another indoor entertainment they are going to do, they are going to do a clone of Universal Island Adventures, Eighth Voyage of Sinbad, and then an outdoor water play area where I swear to God, this is the name, King Tut's Oasis.
1: Wait, no, so they, they made a pun on King Tut?
0: Well, there we go. Come wow. In. You got to work out your dad jokes where you can. OK, 11 o'clock position. Uh, we have our Jurassic Park section of Dubai Land. Sure. This park would not have gotten Jurassic Park the ride, but instead it would have gotten Jurassic Park Rapids Adventure, which for those of you familiar with the Jurassic Park, uh or, excuse me, uh, Universal Studios Singapore, the ride system that they use for their Jurassic Park is basically the same one as Popeye and Bluto's Bilge Rat uh, Barges, which uh, we should do that when we were down there, Dustin. We should get a group of gray people to basically wear shorts and T-shirts. I've always wanted to do, just go from every one of the water-based rides and islands and see how wet you can actually get. Go from Popeye to, to Dudley to the Jurassic River Adventure. Yeah. For Popeye
1: and Bluto's, that's actually where we go to get the best construction photos right now of the Jurassic Park uh, coaster. Yes, yes. But it's funny seeing people go on that ride and then do exactly what you're saying. They go over to Dudley's and I just Mm. sit back and laugh. I go Mm. to the um, – they have those machines where you can buy tokens. You put the tokens in and then you
0: spray everyone. To be honest, if, if I'm putting money in machines, it'll be those giant industrial dryers that they <laughs> have there doing, you know, that try to get dry again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we mentioned the 12 o'clock position. We have our Jurassic Park Visitor Center. But if you go shift to the one o'clock position, we got another outdoor coaster. When you look at that coaster, what do you think of? It, it's completely a, a King Kong. Well, poster, yeah, like. but, but look but it's, at the load hill. Look at the lift hill. Where have you seen that lift hill before? <sighs> okay, you're walking into Universal Studios, Florida. It's on the left. It's big. It's tall. It it's Hollywood Rip
1: There you go. Yeah, which I still find completely overlooked experience at Universal Studios, but I get it.
0: All right, if you're walking to the entrance of Blue Man Group, and coming off of a city walk mm-hmm. before the entrance to uh, Universal Studios Florida, you can actually see where you would be able to get into Rip Ride Rocket from the the Blue Man Group side as an attraction after hours. Because I mean, that initially was the plan. The idea was that they could shut down Universal Studios, the park, mm-hmm. uh, the Studios, Studios Florida. But they could still, for CityWalk guests who were willing to pay, you know, 4 or $5 a person, they could effectively backdoor them straight into Rip Ride Rocket. The way that coaster is laid out when it comes all the way to the edge of CityWalk mm-hmm. and how you, you can stand across the water and actually watch... People ride on that thing. It's hidden in plain sight. I yep. mean, to be honest, I think the way they designed the coaster was more with the thought of we have to get people who are in City Walk to see this and want to come over and pay to go do it as opposed to. People who are inside Universal who have already paid their admission to get to ride this. Well, and that's why anytime you
1: walk past, there's that. Okay, so not even when you walk past, when you're on the attraction, you go through all the thrills and the excitement and then you kind of go into the section where you're like, why is this here? And that's because they take you out and give you that view of CityWalk. In other words, uh-huh. give CityWalk the view of you. There you go. But it, it was very interesting because when we look back, Universal uh-huh. Studios Florida didn't always close really late. So if the the theme parks were closing at 8 or 9 or and, 7, or seven yeah. And then you had the the guests that were in a, at Citywalk there until midnight or 1 or 2. Why not give them that opportunity to? And did we ever get the the cost? Was it going
0: to be two bucks or when Rip Ride Rocket opened in August of 2009, it was for... or it was originally supposed to open Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. And it, it had all sorts of tech issues and that sort of thing and I think by the time they finally got it open, uh, the folks at Universal were ready to put it in the rearview mirror. This was supposed to be their big attraction for the summer of 2009, yeah. because the very next year was the introduction of the Wizarding World. And when you're opening in late August, it's like, you, you know, you, <laughs> miss the you boat. have a week. Yeah, that's it, exactly. So they kind of lost their enthusiasm for that idea, and they've never since revisited it. And the way it's designed, was set up to appeal to CityWalk because they were hoping they could get people, as you said, when the park closes at 7, you want to ride that thing? Sure. We can run it for another three, four hours, five hours, and, you know, make some additional coin. Yeah. Anyway, back to Kong. Once you look at that tower and realize, holy crud, they are they're repurposing Rip Ride Rocket for this park and throwing a Kong theme. And by the way, this is Kong, the Peter Jackson remake uh, from yes. 2005. Behind the Kong building... Uh, you see a giant show building. And when you step inside of the giant show building, it's an entirely enclosed section of New York City. And what's particularly cool about this is that inside this recreation of New York City, they would be... The, the Blues Brothers would do their Blues Brothers review. They'd roll in the Bluesmobile. But what, for me as a Ghostbuster fan, what was truly cool is they were going to recreate the firehouse... If you were going to go on the Ghostbuster ride they were going to do for Dubai, mm-hmm. you had to enter through the firehouse that's in Tribeca. You yeah, know, that's you had in At the New corner York. of More, More Street and Varick, and it just sort of—it's it, like, oh, you know, I love that they were going to do that building. Yeah. To, to complete our trip around the clock face here, at the three o'clock position, we would have had Surf City. This is. The fantasy land equivalent of uh, Universal Studios to buy Dustin. Uh, here they would have taken that Woody Woodpecker nut house coaster that they have in that area between ET and Barney. Barney uh, yeah. at Universal Studios uh, Florida, but Universal acquired the international rights to the Sesame Street characters back in the early 2000s. This is why they opened the Sesame Street 4D Movie Magic attraction. At Universal Studios in Japan uh, back in April of 2003, but inside another giant air-conditioned building, there were supposed to be three separate Sesame Street-themed ride shows and attractions. So there's your whole Universal Studios Dubai it's supposed to open December 2010. They were already sort of sussing out what they were going to expand with, and and for phase two. One of the things they were looking at was bringing in a clone of Waterworld, a live sea war spectacular.
1: Yeah, it looks like it was going right in behind, or right in between Sinbad and Jurassic Park.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when I think of Waterworld, I think of the Kevin Costner movie that didn't work. Sure. But the thing is, that same year, Universal wants to replace its Miami Vice stunt show. Mm-hmm. And so they decide, okay, we've got this Waterworld thing we're, we're putting out. Let's bring that in. And this show, and it, almost in spite of the movie, has been so ridiculously popular, especially with foreign visitors to uh, Universal Studios Hollywood, that they built a clone uh, for Universal Studios Japan, opened in March of 2021. Uh, 2001, And then when Singapore opened, it got its own clone of Waterworld. That was March of 2010. So the the thinking is, if it was popular in Hollywood and Japan and Singapore, we got to bring it to Dubai. You Mm -hmm. know, if only because every so often some of the audience gets splashed and they cool down because it's 97 degrees at 1 o'clock in the morning. Every single thing in this park, with the exception of Ghostbusters and Sesame Street, were universal-owned properties. The financial model this time around was like, look, let's not blow our dough on licensing deals. And I I find that fascinating because they're doing this while they're building... The Wizarding World of Harry Potter, so it's hard not to read between the lines here and go, God, we are paying a lot for Harry Potter.
1: Yeah, all those butterbeers. <laughs>
0: yeah, but it's let's figure out how to make that one cheaply. Yeah. And anyway, on the back of this, in August of 2007, Universal announces they're in on Dubai land. It's a land rush. January 2008, DreamWorks Animation announces they're building a theme park there. March of 2008, uh, Six Flags indicates they're in with a $6 million square foot park. May of 2008, first week, or May 2nd of 2008, Marvel announces they're in. Yeah. And then four days later, Merlin jumps in and says, hey, we're going to build a Lego land. Universal is out in front. In sure. fact, Universal is so far out in front, they break ground in the, uh, July of 2008. That's the other thing when you Google Universal Studios Dubai, you get to see the arch that they built. Yeah, they built
1: the arch. They have all the cranes. They have like the the official Universal City Dubai land, all the
0: signs, everything. They have a sales center. They do. I mean, they were ready to go. They finished the arch fall of 2008. And those of you who remember your financial history, about what was going on in the mortgage bubble and what was happening with banking in 2008 it was a disaster, a worldwide financial crisis. And as a direct result, the very banks that the folks who were building Dubai land were financing this park were like, whoa, 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 maybe we want to slow down for a moment. And so suddenly Universal Studios Dubai goes from a December 2010 opening to... A December of 2012. They built the arches first and then they built an administration building next to it and the sales center because again they were showing we're confident we're we're in we're all in on this project but meanwhile Tawir a uh, company got this thing started in 2003 has to reorganize due to the financial crisis and it takes a you know several years to sort all that out and so there's no activity on Universal Studios Dubai works at it all. You know, you just Yeah, the, the camels driving? moved in. Let's let's be <laughs> honest. Some
1: of the the photos are just like, "Hey, look, there's an arch. Hey, look, there's a camel."
0: <laughs> People who lived in Dubai, evidently, they had built this thing on the road to a okay, Al Inn Road, which which you take to get to the outlet mall. Everyone was very aware that there was nothing going on because they were driving back and forth at the outlet mall looking out then in January of 2011, Comcast buys NBC Universal for $30 billion. Three months later, they sit down with the, the folks at Dubai Properties Group, the, the, what the company is reorganized to. Yeah. And it's like, look, we'd really like to get this thing going. We've had our thing arch built for three years. And is this actually going to happen? April of 2011, we're in the middle of the Arab Spring. And, you know, there were all of these demonstrations and rebellions going on in the Middle East, and lots of people are nervous and kind of like, can we hold off on making a decision about this or or until people stop rioting in the streets? Fall of 2012, things seem to have calmed down. The rule of Dubai says, okay, we're going ahead with a reimagined version of Dubai land, only now... Universal, how would you feel about not a whole theme park, but say a family entertainment center? Comcast is like, okay, this may get our foot in the door in the United Arab Emirates, so okay, we're kind of on board. And again, but again, it keeps getting delayed, and to show that you know we're really excited to be in this territory, mm-hmm. that's actually why they shot Furious Seven in Abu Dhabi. They're over there in November of 2013. It's like, look what we could bring to this region. This sort of entertainment, this sort of excitement. And Dubai Land keeps getting stalled out and keeps getting stalled out. And finally, Comcast is like, look, we're tired of waiting. Yeah. So October of 2016, Universal Parks and Resorts announces they're severing ties with the Dubai Land Project. The Universal Arch along Allen Road up by the outlet mall, you know, quietly gets pulled down.
1: And put on eBay.
0: <laughs> they have what is known as the Un- uh, Universal Studios Dubai Land. I want to say it's media advertisement. Sure. And it's a minute long. It's folks in authentic Arab garb, but they're in Universal Studios Florida. But again, they're in a Universal Studios Florida that they're shooting to sell Dubai Land. They show these people eating, the shopping, and having the time of their lives, but it's also, it touches on everything they wanted to put do in the park. So that you see them in the theater watching Sinbad, you see them, you know, riding, a, you know, a Jurassic Park attraction. But for me, what especially kind of jumps out is the clunky catchphrase at, you know, the end of this thing, which is Universal Studios Dubai Land The world's most exciting experience comes to the most exciting place. And everybody knows that the most exciting place in the world is... Universal Orlando Resort, where you and I, with the help of some very nice folks at Storybook Destinations, will be hosting a holiday-themed event this November.
1: So excited for this, and I think that anyone who loves Universal and loves the history that that Jim provides, and obviously my jokes and trip planning and that kind of stuff, honestly, I am probably... The fan that will be hanging out with everyone as they are on Dudley Do-Rights, I'll be on the bridge with probably a donut in hand from Voodoo Donuts. Just, you know, encouraging everyone to enjoy because we are going in November. So it's uh, November 15th um, through until Monday, November the 18th. All of the information is over at storybookdestinations.com. Up at the top of the website, they have a Jim Hill slash Disney Dish button. Just press on that and it'll take you to all of the information, including, you know, where we're staying, what we're doing, all the different uh, experiences, not only at Universal Studios Florida, but Islands of Adventure. And, you know, the fact that we're getting there within days of the Christmas and holiday experiences coming up. It's going to be a perfect time and there's nothing, no better way to think about Christmas than booking something in July. (laughs) All right. Good job. I I do what I can. But at the end of the day, there's things on this itinerary that are probably the most exciting for fans of Jim, of yourself, doing a walk around tour of Universal Studios Florida and Islands of Adventure. That right there is something where you just want to be a part of. I'm excited for that.
0: So I guess that brings us to the close of yet another uh, Universal Joint here podcast here folks. And we'll be back soon with another show, but uh, until that happens, uh, Dustin, where can they find you online?
1: Yeah, so they can find me over at steps to magic.com, trip planning, Disney Universal. I'm also on the We Like Theme Parks podcast, which Disney and Universal nerds talking about Disney and Universal stuff. So we we like to have fun over there. Uh, and yeah, I'm all over the place Pinterest, Instagram uh, Less Twitter, but I, I go to Twitter To see what Jim's up to
0: <laughs> Okay uh, My side of the fence The Disney podcast that I do with Lynn Testa, the fine-tuning Podcast that I do With Drew Taylor uh, The Looking at Lucasfilm Podcast that I do with Dan Z Please head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our shows. If you get head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be very helpful. Thanks for listening, folks, and we will be back with a new show soon. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.